Welcome to Dr. Eric's Relentless Vitality Podcast. Our focus is on optimizing physical and mental vitality, maximizing performance, and extending lifespan. Dr. Eric is a licensed physician with a wealth of expertise in age management and preventive medicine, whose goal is enabling his patients to stay young, feel their best, and enjoy a higher quality of life. Dr. Eric, the fitness physician, here another episode of the Relentless Vitality Podcast. Today, I'm excited. I got a good, great friend and colleague, Robert Morgan, who's an awesome nurse practitioner down in Texas, doing some great things. So, Robert, how you doing, my man? Good. How are you, Eric? Doing well. Doing well. All right. So we've been uh, we've just been chit chatting for a while, but uh, we're going to talk hormones today. Um, a lot of my uh, listeners are always asking questions about what we do in the hormone world. I've done a bunch of podcasts on it before, but I'd like to do even more. Talk about that. So um, anyway, so Robert, tell me uh, just start for our listeners. Just tell them, uh, tell us uh, like where you're like where you're at, what you're doing, and uh, feel free to go ahead and plug your website, and we'll go from there. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Uh, I'm Robert Morgan. I'm a nurse practitioner here in uh, Kingwood, Texas, and uh, I have a clinic uh, that we've been doing hormones for 17 years. Uh, I've been a nurse for 27 years and 17 of it as a as a nurse practitioner. My graduate work was actually uh, on hormone therapy. That's, you know, when the Women's Health Initiative was coming out. So I thought, well, that'll, that'll be a great subject. And, uh, you know, after studying it, I came out with some conclusions that were totally against what everybody else was saying. So hormones uh, have, have been the basis of my practice for the last 17 years and quality of life, you know, which is what we're really shooting for. Yes, absolutely. That's good to hear. That'd be a good jumping point. I figured... Um... You know, uh, I think it'd be fun to kind of do like a, a Mythbusters kind of show because I get a lot, and you probably do too, a lot of comments and questions from people on forum pages or patients and clients about hormones. And I think that's a great lead. And, you know, your, your study on the WHI, as we, as we both know from our studies, and we both trained with WorldLink and other organizations and studies. I think, you know, obviously women were doing awesome with hormones for decades, and the WHI came out and scared a lot off. And now we're realizing that it was kind of a oops. Uh, wasn't quite so accurate after all. We've done you know dozens of studies since then showing the benefits of uh, uh, you know properly prescribed bioidentical hormones. So um, let's talk about that. I guess we could talk about uh, female and women hormones. The WHI be a good one, like what they did wrong, are working and things like that. But um, let's talk about estrogen. I guess that'd be a good point. What uh, I know we both. Uh, have a lot of women uh, who, you know, I put a lot of women on progesterone, testosterone, estradiol. I think one of the biggest questions is always, uh, again, relating to WHI, you know, estrogen, is it safe? You know, does it cause the concerns or gosh, does it cause blood clots and cancer and all this kind of stuff? Oral, oral pills are, are terrible and a lot of women like the cream and that's nice and safe and vice versa. So let's, uh, let's talk about estrogen. What are your, what's your take on that? Yes, well, estrogen, as you know, is in, indicated for hot flashes, night sweats, the vasomotor symptoms. But what a lot of people don't understand is estrogen's uh, directly, you know, linked to uh, bone density. And so all these women who have low estrogen levels, um, even if they're not having hot flashes or night sweats, are predisposed to osteoporosis. And osteoporosis is actually going to kill more women than breast cancer. Right. So, you know, uh, prevention of osteoporosis. Porosis to me is a very, very big uh, item. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So the number of people that have hip fractures and 
subsequent uh, injuries, illness, death from that is is staggering. It's in the millions. Oh, yeah, definitely millions. And, you know, the increased risk of dying before the age 70 is uh, uh, exacerbated, you know, whenever you're low on estrogen. So Right, right. I think I think a lot of people forget about, you know, helps with uh, the cognitive aspect of the, the neuromuscular side, helping with your balance and things, which obviously is going to prevent falls, not only make your bones stronger, but keep you from falling in the first place. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember, there was the uh, SWAN report um back uh years ago and the swan report indicated that disease prevention was a driving force for doctors to prescribe and then of course the women's health initiative came out and you know uh people mis you know interpreted the the data from the whi and uh kind of pulled the rug out from the swan report but the swan report showed that you know um uh, estrogen was extremely helpful you know, in disease prevention, you know, especially cardiovascular mortality, because yeah, if you remember, you know, that uh, estrogen prevents that coronary artery uh, calcium buildup, you know, or plaque buildup. Um, and I know uh, Neil has talked about that several times, you know, people kind of overlook that, but it's, it's important, not just for women, but for men also. So, you know, bringing your estrogen levels up is going to help strengthen your bones, but it's also going to help prevent those coronary artery diseases that we'll worry about. Absolutely. And I think, I think the tide has turned. It used to be, you know, the guys, of course, are always worried about their estrogen getting too high and getting on, uh, put on aromatase inhibitors and things. I think more and more people are uh, becoming aware that estrogen is important in men too, and don't lower your estrogen. There's no need for that ever. If they're having symptoms, it's usually related to insulin resistance or inflammation or something else. It's not your estrogen being too high. Oh, exactly. Um, no, estrogen, higher estrogen levels actually, like I say, are very, very uh, beneficial. And, you know, they help reduce the risk of, uh, you know, um, cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, even uh, cognitive decline. And, of course, in women, you know, uh, um, vaginal atrophy, dryness, you know, that they tend to experience right. uh, with time. So, yeah. Very important. I use both forms. Uh, do you use a lot of oral estradiol or topical or both? Um, yeah, the oral form is typically, you know, uh, touted as uh, better uh, absorption and what have you. But you got to remember that if estrogen helps prevent plaque buildup, you know, it actually can help to break it down. And so, Let's say if a woman has not uh, had a period for 10 years, she's been in menopause, she's not taking any hormones, then she potentially has plaque buildup. And so if you start taking oral estrogen and it breaks that plaque down, then, of course, there can be some potential complications. But the uh, transdermal estrogen does not do that. So you can safely put a woman who has been in menopause for years and not been on hormone therapy uh, onto a transdermal and she's going to get the vasomotor benefits. She may not get the uh, uh, cardiovascular benefits uh, as well as she would, you know, on a oral, but, you know, it's, it's uh, touted as safer to, to do the transdermal. Right, right. I think you're right. And we've, we've both uh, learned a lot about that, that, you know, quote unquote safer, but you're not going to have the cardiovascular benefits as the oral, which of course, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of men and women. So I think that's, way more important um, and it's going to treat all the other symptoms as well so I, I, I 
I try to do oral as much as I can um, because I feel it is the best way to go. But, you know, some women would just prefer the, I, the transdermal, which is fine. Um, oh, sure. And it, and the Women's Health Inif Initiative even showed that, you know, that first year is actually when anything's going to happen probably would happen. So I do have women who, let's say, 15 years, you know, after their hysterectomy decided they couldn't take it anymore. So we went ahead and put them on. Uh, estrogen and I talked to him about the risk and we went ahead and started a lower dose of uh, oral estrogen and then within the year you know I'll go ahead and bump it up and get them to a good therapeutic dose because remember uh, one of my big goals is also osteoporosis you know preventing that osteoporosis from happening and um, uh, a lot of these women they go to their OB who you know does bone density uh, testing and um, they have shown over the years, you know, all my patients that their bone density actually increases. I mean, I don't test it here in the clinic. I just let the OB do it. But almost every one of the uh, women that I've talked to has had it checked. They, they say that their OB-GYN is just astounded at, you know, the increase in bone density and how much better they're doing. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, we talked a little bit about weight loss and stuff, too. I know a lot of women are hesitant. They feel like the oral form is going to make them gain weight. But I think a lot of studies show that actually reduces adiposity and, and, and fat gain in the abdomen. I, to I totally agree with you with that. I mean, some of the women will see, you know, a little bit of fluid retention at first. And uh, a lot of women will will be nervous. But I try to remind them that. You know, whenever they're younger, they're in their teen years or early 20s, when their estrogen levels are at their highest, they're usually at their thinnest. But, you know, as as we age and uh, the hormone levels drop, uh, the body will try through a, a backup system to produce estrogen in the fat. Well, it's a very poor uh, system. It does not work and it actually is detrimental in the long run. But, you know, lower estrogen levels lead to higher belly fat. So I try to get the estrogen levels up also uh, when I'm working with a woman um, for her uh, weight loss. You ever put women on both, like a topical and an oral form? If you have some women that are difficult, because I know I've got like, had literally a couple patients that have really had a hard time getting their levels up and their symptoms improved. Um, I know some people have, like Herman Pang has talked about doing both sometimes, uh, but... You ever done that? Oh, certainly, certainly. Um, we'll give them an oral estrogen. Usually, let's let's say, for instance, if the woman uh, uh, has had a prolonged menopause, you know, ten years or greater, I'll start her off on a transdermal, uh, and then as time goes, I'll add the oral. But if we are having trouble getting the levels up, um, I I will do both. Also. Um, if they're having vaginal atrophy, you know, dryness, that kind of thing, I will go ahead and uh, prescribe them, you know, a vaginal preparation, which seems to work really well also. And, you know, um, sometimes I think that uh, the reason we're not getting the levels up is because we're not uh, prescribing a high enough dose. And that actually comes into play whenever uh, we're prescribing the bias versus estradiol. Uh, because a lot of people are confused about how much estradiol or E2 is actually in that bias. Right, right. Do you use much bias? I'm not, I don't, I typically just use estradiol and forget, but have you used estradiol bias? Um, well, you know, because I'm kind of old school and started 
a long time ago. I mean, <laughs> we started out with Tri-S, right, uh, right. and then uh, the FDA said, eh, you don't really need the Estrone. So um, we went to Bias, and I do use a lot of Bias. I rarely uh, use just uh, E2 alone, but uh, that's probably more habit, you know, from from just years and years of, sure. of, of doing it that way. But right. women do very well. You just You just have to understand, you know, that, you know, if you're given five milligrams of, of uh, bias, you know, how much E2 is actually, how much estradiol is actually in there. Right, right. Yeah, and I think just uh, for our read, for the, the listeners too, we want to uh, emphasize that, you know, we're talking about bioidentical estradiol, not Premarin, not the synthetic form of, uh, of estrogen. So, um, yeah, I think those are all awesome points for sure. Let's, let's talk about the testosterone too, and then... Uh, I, th- I think you probably do what I do. I mean, obviously the men, you know, love it, but I've got a lot of, you know, most of my women are on it too, as we know, progesterone and testosterone, are the first two to drop in women and of course in men as well. But um, what's been your experience with women and men on testosterone? Any pushback? I guess we were talking about myths, I think, uh, and concerns, of course, the big ones that everybody worries about are, I think for women um, that they're going to have, you know, you're concerned about hair or, or acne and voice changes and men, I think, of course, they're, they're the pushback sometimes is the, the flawed studies talk about heart problems or prostate cancer, um, things like that. So um, let's, let's, right. let's do some myth busting. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, uh, that's a mouthful. But, right. you know, uh, w- whenever we're talking about uh, testosterone for women, yes, I have a lot of women who will say, yeah, I don't want to have any hair. You know, I'm afraid. I see all the women walking around with a mustache. Okay. Well, when your testosterone levels are the highest as a female, it's when you're younger. You don't have the mustache usually or the facial hair. Or, you know, that occurs whenever the levels drop and a woman is menopausal. So, uh, you know, you, you look around at all these women who have this problem with facial hair, and most of the time they are not on hormones. But, you know, if you start a woman on testosterone, can it, you know, make the hair a little bit darker? It can, but does it happen uh, most of the time? No, it does not. So, you know, it's like I do not uh, uh, associate really uh, uh, testosterone replacement with, with you know, a woman having a hairy face. But, hey, that's what a laser is for, right? Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you know, the lighter hair cannot be lasered. The darker hair can. So, you know, if they tend to grow hair anyway, you put them on testosterone, it darkens the hair. You can laser it off and it's gone forever. Yep, exactly, exactly. And a lot of those women, they, they, if they're having hair or acne, it's usually PCOS, and insulin resistance more than anything else. It, um, oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, there, there have been a lot of studies, uh, uh, even though, you know, testosterone is not FDA approved for women, uh, I tend to remind women, well, you know, I, I guess God forgot to, get FDA approval because he's the one that put the testosterone in them. Right. So, you know, it's like uh, testosterone is certainly a big part of it. It was just never uh, marketed for women, but you know, there've been so many studies. I don't, I don't know if you uh, remember Rebecca Glazier, Dr. Glazier did a lot of studies with testosterone and breast cancer prevention. And so she showed that, you know, testosterone is extremely important, you know, for tumor reduction. And um, uh, she's had a lot of success treating, you know, these women, uh, let's say by putting uh, testosterone pellets at the tumor site uh, 
uh, in breast cancer. So, you know, testosterone right. is very protective in, in some instances. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you're right. I remember uh, hearing about uh, her, her, her work, and that's awesome. And she's had great success. And, of course, we know that it's, you know, kind of like estrogen protective against uh, protective, if anything, against cancer and against you know, helping cardiac function, heart function, blood pressure, things like this. You know, those are some of the old myths that, you know, testosterone causes heart problems, which, you know, we know that it doesn't. If anything, it benefits the heart and benefits, you know, is additional breast cancer protection for women, too, for, for sure. Oh, sure. And you remember the uh, magazine Maturatus uh, yep. in El Xavier. They, they actually ran um, an article back in uh, 2013, and it was talking about the myths and misconceptions of testosterone with women, you know, and, and really and truly, you know, what came out of it is testosterone is the most abundant biologically active female hormone. It's essential for physical and mental health in women. It's not masculinized. Masculinized. <laughs> Tongue tied today. Hey, I haven't had my coffee, man. <laughs> but and, and you know, uh, uh, Dr. Glazer found that it didn't, you know, cause hoarseness or uh, increase uh, in scalp hair growth, uh, but that it was cardioprotective. Uh, it did not, you know, adversely affect the liver or increase clotting factors. And uh, she actually uh, found that it was uh, mood stabilizing uh, and yet did not increase aggressiveness. And, you know, a, a, a lot of people want to blame aggressiveness, especially in men, on testosterone replacement. And it's just not so. Right. Um, but she did do a lot of studies showing that testosterone is breast protective. Uh, and, you know, the safety of testosterone in women's, you know, under research, but it's showing, you know, to be very established. That's why you have these uh, bio-T clinics not wanting to, you know, promote them, but bio-T clinics everywhere where they're wanting to, you know, pump every woman that walks into the door with a testosterone pellet. Yeah. Would, are you, most of your women on uh, testosterone creams or uh, sub-Q injections or both? Um, well, first off. Not most of, but every woman that comes in is probably put on testosterone. But I use creams. I use uh, capsules sometimes. Uh, uh, the trochies, you know, the little dissolvables. Right. Um, creams, creams and trochies are pretty much uh, what I use the most. You know, when with the oral, there's still, uh, you know, some uh, people who would, you know, like to say that it is a little harder on the liver. Uh, and, you know. I have not seen that, but, you know, that is out there. So a lot of times I will just put it in a trochee form where, you know, you suck on it like a little cough drop and it's uh, absorbed in the mouth. So it doesn't actually go through that first pass effect. And it's very effective, but testosterone does not taste that good. So um, it's one of the things, you know, you have to either get over or you can switch them to a cream. Right. Uh, inject, but but women do well with injections too, you know. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I've done both. You know, I kind of throw it out. There. I, I present the pros and the cons. I've got you know, a lot of women on creams, but a lot of them just don't mind the injections. It's just the convenience factor. I think they both work as long as they're dosed appropriately and you're monitoring, um, et cetera. Oh, sure. And, you know, the one thing that it does do with almost all women is increases their sex drive. And, you know, that's one of the biggest problems we have when, when you know, uh, a couple is aging, you, you know, they lose that love and feeling. Right. You know, as a hormone right. levels drop. Well, I love my husband, but, you know, uh, I just don't have any desire. And, you know, of course, I see the men and the women as you do. 
And so, you know, I have the woman coming in telling me she has no desire. And I have the man saying, hey, you know, I love my wife, but, you know, she's not giving it up. And, uh, you know, it's causing problems in the relationship. So, you know, testosterone does tend to help. And I think that's what's made uh, BioTeach so popular with the OBGYNs because, you know, they know that if they can get this woman's sex drive up and get her feeling, you know, uh, healthy, happy, and horny, that, you know, they're going to keep a patient forever. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so, you know, all these OBGYNs, they are, they're, like I say, they're all, you know, jumping on the bandwagon, but it's not just them. It's the family doctors. It's, uh, you know, I, I've, I've seen cardiologists who are implanting, you know, hormones now. <laughs> so, right, right. Everybody's an expert in, in, you know, pellet therapy now. <laughs> I know, right. Yeah, I know a lot of people, you know, like pellets. A lot of people don't like it. A lot of people kind of, because it's, you know, don't like the, you know, kind of poo-poo because it's not quite as natural. It's invasive, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I've done pellets. I do them. But obviously, I, I prefer to do creams or injections because you can more mimic those natural rhythms. But, you know, once again, I, I had that discussion with a patient. I present the pros and cons and kind of let them make an informed choice, you know. So, um some people love oh, it. Some sure. people don't, you know. What one thing I wanted to uh, to bounce off you too, and I love talking about this too, because I, I, you know, I listen, I talk to, you know, like you, we both talk, we both go to a lot of conferences, talk to a lot of other clinicians, and I listen to a lot of podcasts during my drive. And uh, with men, I think an interesting topic comes up with um, application for men. Obviously, most guys just prefer the injections, but I know a lot of people are doing a lot of more with creams and especially like with scrotal application. Obviously the cream you can apply anywhere, but there's a special form you can put on the scrotum and a lot of guys love it. They feel like it, it really boosts their libido and they have great benefits. Other guys or other people will say, well, I don't like that. Uh, raises your DHT too much and there's a risk of that and it can cause some bad things. And so I, I've heard both sides. So uh, what's, what's your take on that? Um, yeah, that, I, I do use a, a lot of creams and injectables as well. It's kind of 50-50. Uh, is all injectable. You know, um, I think that the cream works extremely well to raise levels. Um, but sometimes uh, the, the complaints I'll get is the guys are not, you know, getting the erectile um, uh, power or, you know, that they used to. Uh, they're, they're just not quite there. But they feel better. The injections uh, tend to uh, increase the sex drive a little bit more, give give a little bit more pump, you know, and they're they're really feeling good, but um, it, it's a little shorter lived, you know. You're going from maybe an injection a week or you know an injection a couple times a week to you know comparing to a cream that you apply daily. So I like the cream because it keeps the levels. Uh, um, a little more level, if you would, you know, I mean, right. it's slower to get to get those levels up, but then they, they're pretty consistent. Whereas with the uh, injection, you know, you feel really great for three or four days, the levels start to drop and, you know, you just kind of go, you know, in, in a cycle there. So when I give injections, uh, a lot of times if the, if the patient's all right, we're giving the injection to their self and don't, you know, have a lot of adversity, I'll actually have them split the dose. And so, Let's say I'm going to give them a CC a week. I'll have them split it and take half CC twice a week. And it keeps the levels, you know, uh, more consistent. And also, you know, it keeps down any potential side effects such as our negative side effects, such as, you know, fluid retention or, or acne. So um, it's kind of 50, 50 for me. You know, I just, I just uh, kind of go, how, how, how does a patient feel with it? 
Right. And if they don't feel good on one application, we try the other. Right, right. I agree. I, I think most of my guys are doing, I'm splitting up the dose. If they're doing an injection, maybe two, twice a week, sometimes three times a week. And every now oh, sure. someone that do it daily, but most guys don't want to do that. Um, but yeah. I've got a few guys doing the cream and they, you know, they do well with it as well. I mean, I think um, I haven't really noticed much difference between the, the scrotal versus the, the, you know, applying it elsewhere, but I don't have as many as I do on injections. So I, um, yeah. but no scrotal, scrotal cream does, it does work very well. You know, and like I say, overall, you know, a good feeling overall helps with the leaning. Uh, and that that's one thing, you know, like with the injections, you do have more fluid retention. And so, you know, uh, you have to kind of watch that, you know, if someone's trying to lean up and lose weight, uh, right. the cream does not seem to do that, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think going back to our uh, misunderstandings and myths of it, I mean, obviously a lot of, I think more people are realizing this but you know the old the old take with the traditional medical models oh my gosh you know the testosterone you're gonna uh you know you're gonna have you know more prostate issues and higher risk of prostate cancer i think morgan toller and all the other studies since then have clearly shown that if anything it's lower levels are more associated with a higher risk and uh higher more aggressive cancers and if anything you want to you know it's a saturation model right you know we want we want your levels high you're gonna have a less risk of bph of lower urinary tract symptoms of cancer etc Oh, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's never made sense to me why, you know, a teenager who has a, a level of, you know, 800, 1,000, 1,200, who knows, because we don't always check them. But, you know, they have high levels and they have no cancer. And then as you get older, you know, and your testosterone levels drop down to literally nothing, that's when we end up with BPH and eventually cancer. Right. And, you know, as you know, testosterone is you know, not FDA indicated until you have a, a level of less than 300 on two separate occasions. Well, according to the saturation model, you know, if you look at the numbers there, it's about 250 where we start to become concerned that cancer can grow. So here you go, you know, you wake up in the morning, your testosterone level spikes, it's great, which is when they want to test you, and then it's low the rest of the day. Well, if your testosterone level is fluctuating, let's say between, you know, 300 and maybe 200, and you're riding right there, let's say averaging 250. Okay, well, why am I going to wait to treat you when I know that if you have any, any type of uh, prostate cancer cell, you know, sitting around waiting to grow, they're going to start to grow in the absence of testosterone. And this is totally opposite, like I say, of what we were taught, you know, uh, years ago that, you know, testosterone actually was uh, fuel for the fire and you know you give a little bit of testosterone it's gonna make that cancer you know grow like wildfire and that's that's just opposite of what really happens yeah it's just not the case you know once you get above that saturation model no changes if anything um they're gonna have a less a decreased risk and it, even if they do which you know a certain percentage of guys they've done studies on that that you know certain guys will get it no matter whether they're on testosterone or not but the ones if you're on it if your testosterone is optimal they'll have a less aggressive and a better course actually um, as opposed to lower levels, you know? Um, yeah. So oh, absolutely. So I think that's, that's one of the big ones, you know, was the, the prostate cancer. I think, um, you know, heart disease, we've talked about that. Clearly uh, men and women do better, have less risk, better longevity, improved cardiac function with more optimal levels, decreased cardiac, uh, intimate thickness, decreased atherosclerosis. Um, uh, we talked about osteoporosis. I think the other big one, and I would talk, ask you about this, too, is I think, of course, guys always worry about, and I know Neil's talked about this, the, the erythrocytosis, 
Uh, of course, it's it's always mis, mis, misnamed as polycythemia, which it's that's a totally different disease process. But I've never really had. I think if you're properly dosed, I mean, I've never had a guy having an elevated blood count or hematocrits and had to give blood. I think if you dose them properly, I mean, it's it's almost you're not hardly going to see it. Um, so I think it's unless you know it's more with the guys that are abusing it or doing massive doses on a regular basis. But I've never had any issues with that. Have you? Um, well, on a routine basis, I actually have guys, uh, you know, go get phlebotomized. They'll go give a, you know, uh-huh. a unit of blood usually every three months. I, I do have a few who, you know, are, are prone to, you know, higher, uh, hematocrits and they don't have any problem other, you know, them being red faced and sometimes get a little, little more fatigued, but, you know, it's a natural process whenever your testosterone level is elevated, as you know, um, that, um, let's say you go to, you go to Denver, you know, and there's not a lot of oxygen. Well, your, your body says, Hey, I need more red blood cells. Right. So, you know, your testosterone level goes up, right. Testosterone goes up, your blood cell count goes up and then you are doing fine up in the mountains. Well, all those people in Denver, Colorado, are not at higher risk for stroke or heart attack, right? I right, mean, exactly. they're, they are healthy, they're leaner, they're out there on the slopes and, you know, they're happy. And once again, they're horny because they're testosterone <laughs> level. So, you know, healthy, happy, and horny, that just healthy, tends happy. to all run together when you have, when you're talking about testosterone. I love that. The triple H, healthy, happy, horny. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, <laughs> um, I, I do uh, occasionally, you know, see those elevated crits, you know, I try to remind people that it is a natural process and, you know, that it is not, uh, um, you know, the same as having polycythemia, which is a rare, uh, a rare, you know, blood dyspraxia. Um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, an elevation of your red blood cells. And so I think as long as we educate our patients and I do have handouts, you know, also for them to read, but as long as you educate the patients about it, it's really not a, not a big deal but when they go to their family doctor or they go to that urologist they all you know in in medical school it seems like everybody wants to lump the two together because polycythemia can cause erythrocytosis but you know erythrocytosis is not polycythemia right two different things two completely different things which is funny because you know if you read you'll read i'll read like you know articles online and it still gets mis- misnamed and it's like come on guys let's <laughs> it's <a different laughs> well, for sure yeah but if you you know you said you don't send a lot of guys for phlebotomy but if you actually look at the uh order sheet you know that comes from the blood bank it actually uses the terms interchangeably uh so you know how is it that a uh, a doctor is going to always get it right when the blood bank who are supposed to specialize in this don't get it right. And, right. you know, this is like biology 101. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's a, I'm glad we talked about that. It's a good thing to clarify for, for the listeners and people that don't know, you know, so for sure, for sure. Um, well, let's, um, let's, uh, let's continue with the part two. I think that was a good, good, uh, good intro today. Are you okay with, uh, well, maybe we can do another one next week and, uh, talk about thyroid, talk about progesterone, a few other little things. How's that sound? Sure. I love it. Awesome. Well, Um, hopefully I'll be more prepared next time. (laughs) (laughs) No, this has been great. Um, let's, uh, 
give a shout out, uh, uh, plug your website again, and then we'll, we'll, I'll stop, I'll stop recording. We could chit chat a little bit for a minute and then, uh, I'll let you run. Sure. Robert Morgan. I'm at uh, kingwoodwellness.com. We're here in Kingwood, Texas. Um, so if you're anywhere in the Texas uh, region, I certainly am happy to, happy to treat you. Awesome. Awesome. All right, cool. Thank you, Robert. Um, no, thank you, Dr. Eric. It's been a pleasure, man. All right, my man. You have a good day. Um, I will stop the recording there. And uh, <laughs> okay, we'll go from there. Yeah. Sorry, man. I'm like, <laughs> I I do have a a lot of different um, articles, and you know, I put them together like you know, like testosterone updates 2020. I have to share that with you. There's a bunch of things that I pulled out, you know, um, this year. And, you know, they're all recent studies, all backing up the benefits and health implications of men. Because, you know, I did have issues with the board, uh, you know, where, of course, you know, they're saying, hey, you, you, you gave this woman testosterone and you put her at risk. Well, what risk did I put her at, you know? And right. so... You know, the woman woman felt great. And the woman didn't she did not complain. There was no complaint from her. Oh, I'm sure. Um, it was a complaint from her PCP. Of course. Of course. Who who worked with the endocrinologist. So I got a I got a PCP who is actually a nurse practitioner who is working with an endocrinologist or in this group together. And every time my name comes up, that she refers the patient straight over to endo because they got to find something wrong. And it turned out that they're my competition. Oh, okay. So, Funny you know, they were, yeah, they were building up their clinic. And so they decided that I was the one to get rid of. Right. Of course. Crazy, man. I was going to say, it's funny how that works, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, thanks a lot for including me, man. I appreciate it. And you know, um, I didn't, I'm like, there's no way I can talk for an hour, but. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, I could try to be a little more on point next time, you know, and <laughs> no, you're interact. Right, man. That, was awesome. that was awesome, man. I, I, you and I are kind of on the same page on many different things, so I think you know, I could chat with you for hours. So it makes it makes it so much easier. <laughs> but dude, really, hey, really and truly, man, I have, uh, I, I, I see the elevated crits. I send them, to, I send them down. I just, you know, try to keep it low, you know, yep. so so we don't have any trouble. Um, and I tell them, don't tell them you're on testosterone. Just go because it's going to limit you. You need a doctor's order. Right. Just go down, donate. You're trying to save a life or whatever. And most of them don't have any problems at all, you know. But I fight, man, that polycythemia thing, you know. Uh, and I use a lot of Neil's stuff. He, you know, he he get he gives out handouts sometimes or, uh, you know, things that he uses. And I'll turn around and and use his form. Yeah. And, you know, like the one I just put Arthur by because I had a three page or four page consent and I saw his and I'm like, that covers it all. So, you know, right. I just went ahead and used his, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. But I don't I know you saw I put some of the forms on, on there. You know, I tried to share uh, yesterday, I think it was uh, a few of those. I actually, you know, had attorneys drop like the, there's an ABN in my in my uh, registration. Because I do not, you know, do anything with with insurance. And so um, my attorney actually drew that up. And his name is John Green. He's a congressman now. But well, he he was. He's not right now. But um, so it can, it's very, you know, protected. 
some of the things that I have in there, people will be like, what the hell is that? Is because my issues with the board, um, they were like, well, where's these papers? You know, uh, you submitted, you submitted, you know, some of these papers on some patients, but not on others. And I'm like, well, I don't have to submit them. They're not actually part of the chart. And they're like, yeah, you know, no, everything you collect is not something you have to save. And so there's this one that, you know, um, what am I going to do with my documents? And I found it online. I paid, you know, a couple hundred dollars for it, filled it out and, you know, customized it to me. And I, and I, um, you know, said, oh, I don't, I don't save this. I don't save this. I don't save this because the board was asking for them. And I'm like, no, that shit's not part of my medical record. Here's our policy. And uh, our policy is to shred that. So, you know, they're like, okay, you know, what could they say? <laughs> right. <laughs> so right. so right. I have some things that, that you would never dream of having on your practice, but it only is necessary if you had trouble with the board. Yeah. But, you know, once you, you do it one time, it's there. Yes. Yeah, and, you know, you got it. Yep, that's true. That's true. So, that's awesome. so anyway, yeah, look at those forms I shared. And I will. And, you know, I have them in Word. I put most of them in PDF. But, you know, I do I do have them. I certainly don't mind sharing, you know, anything with you. Yeah, um, appreciate it. I appreciate it. If you're, um, if you're cool with it, maybe we could do another uh, another part two podcast, maybe, in, I don't know, next Friday or something. We'll look at the schedule if, that's, if you're cool. Dude, in, anytime. I'm, man, I, I love talking to you. I think it's fun. You know? It just, you know, it just obviously get, you know, some shameless plugs to both our clinics, but I think it's just good to get the word out and uh, educate people. And uh, it's just a lot of fun too. Oh, sure. It's so funny. <laughs> you know, I sent you the picture of my office manager yeah. and, um, and, you know, um, she's like, he's married. <laughs> I guess you pulled up your Facebook and I, cause I said, Oh, well, I'm going to try and push you off on him. And she goes, he's married. <laughs> and, and she's bitching because she can't find a man now. And it's like, well, it's kind of hard when you work with your ex. But, <laughs> you know, everybody always thinks there's something going on. Right. And right. it's like, no, you know, I bring her to conferences with me sometimes. And um, she doesn't do testosterone anymore. She did for a little while, but she doesn't. You know, one of the great things about testosterone, man, for women is an enlarged clitoris. I mean, you know, they get that clitoral enlargement. All they want to do is touch it and play with it. And I mean, they, <laughs> yeah. they get so horny, dude. And, you know, I didn't want to say this, but, you know, um, I give I give women some good doses. Like I'll give a woman 200, 250 milligrams, one, you know, an IM shot once a month. Oh, really? And I'm going to tell you, it takes it takes about a week and a half to kick in. But when it kicks in, they are on fire. I mean, so I've given some, you know, higher doses to women and they feel really, really good. I mean, yeah. they come in, they line up, you know, Interesting. Um, yeah, that's awesome. The, the, the lower doses just don't do it. And I have not had a, a woman ever. I had one woman who she had a little deeper voice, you know, but she doesn't want to change it. She's like, I feel fantastic. I had one time she goes, if this is the way a man feels, no one, you know, <laughs> it's like, I, they're i mean they're, they're horny dude they're horny yeah. and they feel, i think they're happy. On, the, on the forums i think most people are going you know 20 30 50 milligrams a week you know for women which is a pretty good dose oh yeah but like i say i see i have i have jasper i have uh uh woodlands compounding they compound uh, uh 250 i got 200 a sip 50 a probe 
Uh, I used to put DECA in there, but, you know, for guys with joint pain, but we've separated now. But, you know, for um, um, for the average, you know, patient, they're getting a 250 milligram uh, a week injection. And the SIP and probe, you, know, you remember there was one called, um, oh, damn, what was it? Ever, all the, uh, it used to be real popular. Yeah, uh, anyway, bland. Huh? Yeah. yeah, but anyway, um, I just kind of recreated that, you know, at the insistence of a lot of guys, and it worked out great. It tends to keep the swelling down a little bit. And, right. You know. Yeah, we did that for a while, too. I think the pharmacy reason they don't do it anymore, but for a while, I was doing like a, I don't know, 8% cypionate, 20% for propane or something. It was a little blend, and people liked it. It worked, worked pretty well. Get that fast and the slow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, anyway. All right, bro. Uh, man, <laughs> thanks again, man. Absolutely. Looking forward to uh, chatting again. You uh, enjoy. I'm going to go eat some lunch. You enjoy your Friday, my man. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. See you, Robert. Oh, do you put this on your website or what? Yeah, so the the reason it's on the phone, this app, it's it's a neat little app. It once it's done, it's edited and all that. It it just.